This is Entheogen. Elevate the conversation. I'm Joe. I'm Brad. And I'm Kevin. Please support Entheogen by making a donation on Patreon. Become a patron for as little as $1. Pledge just $3 or more and get early access to new episodes, plus exclusive patron-only features. Head over to entheogenshow.com and click on support. And thanks again. Welcome, David Bronner, to the next episode of Entheogen. Very happy to have you with us. Um, David Bronner is the CEO, the Cosmic Engagement Officer of Dr. Bronner's Magic Soaps. And uh, it's been a real honor to, to have you join us here. And uh, David, thanks so much for all the efforts you've been putting in for all these years in the psychedelic field. It's really, I mean, we all appreciate it. I think I can speak for everyone in the field. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me, ma'am. Awesome. Um, yeah, so we were talking a little bit as we were uh, warming up here about uh, early days of Burning Man, and I just was reminded of a conversation we had with um, Earth and Fire Arrowhead um, in the early days of this show, mm, yep. and uh, they, were, they were sharing a story about how um, when they first started going, people, and this was like in the 90s, you know, yeah. pe people were com complaining like, man, like Burning Man's not the same anymore. I don't yeah. know everyone here anymore. You know, it's like, <laughs> so I mean, it just shows you the scale. It just is always yeah. shifting. You know, it's a whole different thing now, really. I mean, if it's even what it, what it was two years ago anymore, it's a whole, whole new thing. Yeah, no, totally, man. And um, actually Eric Davis was just down and uh, I don't know if you've ever read his um, essay on Burning Man. Oh, okay. I should check that out. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's a nomad code and it's like the best writing on Burning Man ever. And hmm. it's just super, super great. And um, um yeah, you know, whatever. I, I took a couple years. I, I think I hated on the burn like the most, like in like 2011, for whatever reason. Like, they, you know, I was just like, there's a bunch of like entitled people partying in the desert, you know, no, you know, kind of got that, all that. And, uh, you know, and then it was 2012. I was like, if I had talked to one more person about 2012, you know, so I took 2012 off, you know, like, you know. <laughs> but then, you know, realized it's like, okay, like I'm doing all the fun things around town here. And it's like, dude, there is no city that compares to Black Rock at all. Right. You know, whatever is bumming you out, dude, just go somewhere else, dude, because it's like way the most awesome city on the planet. And, you this know, and like, yeah. And, and, uh, yeah, and just like, it's a soul pick, you know, I mean, it's yeah. just so amazing. And, yeah. It's yeah, really its own thing. My, there's, there's nothing like it, you know. My first year was 2011, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, whatever, man. It's great, you know. And I had plenty of awesome times. Everyone, you know, it's always like a mix of it's like an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. You know, I've never done a Himalayan trek, but compared to that or something. Huh. Wow. Yeah. It's a little different. I have done that as well, and it's a, oh, yeah. sli slightly different. Yeah. Both and very worthwhile. Yeah, degrees of emotional <laughs> whatever. I don't know. Right. Back to back psychedelic extreme extremes. Totally. People who haven't been probably think it's like one note. You know, it's like it's just hedonism. It's just like you know pure enjoyment or something. But I, I just remember like realizing my first couple of burns, like there's there's crying involved. You know, <laughs> like that's yeah, it's, it's the whole range, man. It's it's the range exactly. It's great. Absolutely. Uh, well, it's one of the like first one, things it's like one big ceremonial container. You know. Totally. Yeah, we. My, yeah. my first. So in 2011, one of the biggest things that struck me about the whole experience that I was pretty overwhelmed by was gifting. You know, I know it's one of the principles, but it wasn't until I went and I was given so much everywhere I went, every day, every night. I was just bombarded with generosity and people being welcome, welcoming me into their camp. And and when I came back in 2012, um, I, I I brought 
uh, a decent amount of of liquid LSD, and I offered it. So Monday night at our camp, after dinner, I was like, no pressure, just kind of talked to everybody individually and said, a couple of us are gonna, you know, have this experience after dinner for the night, and you're welcome to join. Everyone said yes, so there were 30 of us um, that all set out for for the night on and. The way our camp kind of grew was a bit organic, like one one friend knew another friend. And, um, you know, we all went out and had this incredible bonding experience very early in the week. And at the end of the week, we sort of gathered around in a circle and people talked about what one of the most important experiences they had the whole week. And so many people mentioned it. And talking about like the ceremony, it's now become an annual tradition uh, wow. And Joe and, and Kevin and I, along with a couple of other campmates, have, um, you know, formalized it a bit to, to create a safe space uh, to introduce people to the camp and to the experience. And it's become a, a real incredible joy um, of something to look forward to year over year. But, but yeah, just the whole gifting thing, when you think of it and you see it amongst the other uh, 11 principles and then experiencing it. And, you know, I didn't. I wouldn't have planned to do that, but it just sort of happened organically. Right on. Yeah, you know, and uh, so many things occur right there. But um, like my number one thing about LSD at the burn is it really integrates the city. You really feel like you just integrate it, you know, and just really feel it. And then number two, I feel like that is kind of the best gift like you can give is to psychedelically kind of open yourself and like pour your energies into the city and of the community. You know, it's like, I just feel like, you know, obviously we give the gifts of ourselves in a lot of different more concrete ways but that energetic way of just really kind of opening yourself and um yeah and it's and then uh, and then i was just reminding remembering my like first burn um i remember i got there and it's like oh you know maps is here it was like 2005 and you know and of course i you know I admired maps from afar and we had been uh so we'd sued dea or um, uh, you know dea had tried to um uh, how do you say eliminate the industrial hemp industry uh, you know after Bush came to power and after 9-11 they went nuts on, on hemp and medical marijuana and so we got into this big old fight and MAPS was fighting to break the El Soli monopoly for you know government weed like the only research weed for research was a super crappy STEMI CD crap weed from University of Mississippi and Rick was fighting hard to you know in parallel when we're in, in, you know fighting to keep hemp, hemp alive and um but anyway, so I met up with them and, uh, uh, you know, I went over and I heard about Sanctuary. So there was a whole presentation on Sanctuary, which was the precursor to Zendo. And uh, it was like a safe space. You're having a overwhelming psychedelic experience and, you know, you just need to go somewhere quiet and, you know, just kind of do some work and, and ground out and, you know, have a successful experience. You know, that's not like a kind of open-ended traumatic unresolved thing but you can actually kind of come out the other side and it's really positive and um so i heard all about this and somebody gifted me a you know asked rick hey you know he's got lsd around here and he's you know and all of a sudden someone like dropped uh, you know i didn't see him i think it was coco but it dropped like a vial of l on me and um you know and i, I was like really you know bond with rick and i'm like you know rick you know we're fighting hemp but look lsd is the end game here you know it's like you know, that would be my joke when a reporter, I mean, I never actually said this to a reporter, but when they called me up about hemp, it's like, oh, you know, isn't this a stocking horse for marijuana, you know, the camel's nose under the tent and all that, right. I, you know, and I'd be like, well, you know, some of us, you know, I actually, you know, believe that we need to end prohibition, but many in our coalition don't, it's very single issue focused, blah, blah, blah. And uh, the secret answer was, no, get it right, this is about LSD. 
you know, is about just get, getting all the way there and just landing some body blows. But, uh, but <laughs> I told Rick that that's where, where we're going to go. So, nice. so then go back to camp and just kind of similarly, like, you know, everyone's like, okay, it's like 12 at that point. Our camp was this little camp struggle tent kind of next to the neighborhood. And, uh, and we all like, Hey, I got this rad LSD. And, you know, and so we all dose up except this one lady takes these mushroom chocolates and we're like, you know, I don't know, like an hour in, we're just like charging out on the playa and just, you know, just I don't know, ass coming up pretty hard. And she's really ill. And it turned out she was taking some antibiotics that were like totally oh. contrary, you know, just like oh, not no. working well. So she's like kind of passing out on the playa. And we're like, oh man, I'm like, okay, well, uh, I just heard about sanctuary. We got to get her to sanctuary. Mm. So we're just, you know, like do this half mile trek. Like she's basically dead weight, you know, and like we're like, you know, blazing on acid, like get her all the way over to sanctuary. And I meet Rick for the second time. And wow. now he's like, so I met Rick in his kind of official, like, you know, drug policy warrior, you know, Jedi working on the Death Star kind of role. But now I got to meet him in his, like, you know, his aspirational role of being a psychedelic therapist someday to like legalize and, you know, become a psychic. So he's, I got to meet him in that role, you know, the same day. And, and he was so sweet. And he's like, okay, bring her over here and like, you know, special cut. And, He's like, oh, here's a bucket. And my friend's like, oh, you know, just kind of purrs and just kind of calms down. And we're just all holding space inside. And just like, it was just this incredible energy and just really beautiful. I remember giving my friend this like beautiful hug. And, you know, Rick's like, okay, you guys can go and just come back in the morning. You know, came back the next morning. And, you know, my, my friend was just like, just so, so ecstatic. And she's like, oh my God, Rick's an angel. He's so amazing. And, she just had the most amazing experience. It's wow. kind of, she was able to settle down into her experience. And, yeah. I almost want to have a difficult time, like just to have Rick help me out. You know, it's, <laughs> it's almost worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fake it. Like, yeah, like, oh. fake, right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, it's a great story. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Wow. One of my most surreal experiences, the burn, was when we got to interview Rick and Alex and Allison Gray at your camp so big thanks to you for that among many other things uh but you know creating the space to to make that happen was man that was surreal that was a lot of fun yeah yeah they loved getting back together too i mean i think they started their organizations around a similar time and you know maps was celebrating at that time just over i think 30 years and and uh you know cosm was celebrating a similar anniversary and and to to be able to like foster that conversation and just put friends together, you know, who who've been like lifelong uh, on this on this journey together um, in different forms. Like I, I look at Cosm, you know, Alex and Allison Gray as uh, kind of bring the spiritual aspect to this to this work, and of course, you know, Maps is 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 the sort of medical therapeutic aspect. Um, you know, Burning Man is probably just overall the re- the the sort of recreational side of things. So having this like you know, sort of like a uh, three-legged stool of, of a psychedelic focus was, was pretty fun. It was great. Yeah. Well, watch out, you know, like that, that party can turn into a temple pretty quick. You know? Exactly. Yeah. There, there's, there's, it, the there's a clear separation. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. All, no, it, it all yeah. goes together. Yeah, totally. And, uh, and yeah, not right on They You know, I wasn't like too aware of it, but yeah, like, I guess there had been like a little bit of some feelings, but it was great to like have them all come back together and, that 20 was it 2016 was that was the, the breakout year and um that was reformation so we always put yes. a poem in our camp name yep. yeah the, the da vinci year 
And right. uh, so we were saying like Albert Hoffman's our modern day Da Vinci and like we're, you know, he's like Renaissance man. And, um, but then we were also talking about, yeah, it was an amazing theme that developed that year. Cause we, um, I was like kind of making this theme. We wanted to do this theme about regenerating culture with psychedelics and regenerating agriculture, like with regenerative agricultural, like soil-based method in a way that, yeah. So we kind of bridged like the illusionian mysteries that, you know, Albert Hoffman was this, you know, all about, you know, the, just the, that that experience and recreating it and recreating this reliable way of, of initiating um, society into the mysteries of yeah. life, birth, and love. He stole the fire. Yeah. Yeah. Well, or it was channeled through him. Or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It was gift or given to him. And, you know, he always saw it as like a like he was kind of like almost. I don't know what you say, chosen or something. Yeah. Like it yeah. came into the world at the same time nuclear weapons were. Totally. But he had that pe peculiar presentiment to resynthesize LSD 25 from right. six years ago, you know, like had, <laughs> right. he had never even done that before. Yeah, and, so lucky. Uh, yeah, one, one of his 10,000 compounds. That he exactly, the accidental nature of it and the discovery too. I always did that story, just the, the magnitude of his experience, the right. fact that he went back to it, man, any other mortal human might have stayed away after that, you know, first experience he had. But yeah, right. He went an through. Accident. Yeah, I went to heaven and hell, or I guess hell first, then heaven. And then, uh, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, just like, yeah, losing your marbles on 250 mics, you know, having no idea what's happening. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Being the first one ever, you know, to, so there's no, there's no like basis for comparison. Like, Hey, don't worry. Like you'll come through this. Like there's no one that could even reassure him that it was going to be okay. He's the first. Except for his neighbor who uh, he was a physician and like, let him know he wasn't going to die and gave oh, him a glass right. of milk. Right. That's the story. And that's, huh. that's when he calmed down and, right. and then we kind of released into the world's first unity, mystical LSD unity experience. Amazing. Amazing. Oh, except, except it was not because he, he said that the illusionist, the kaikion, that the, the potion that the initiates drank was basically a natural LSD brew based on the ergot. Yep. And uh, so we were kind of celebrating him and the illusionary mystery. And we kind of like in our camp that year, we had this Demeter, we had this huge kind of tree of life, Demeter. And, um, and all kinds of things were spontaneously coming together to create this kind of temple, basically. And um, like Colin is one of our guys and he was like, oh yeah, I got, I got river, I got, I got river sticks for the chandeliers, you know, and he meant like sticks from the river to oh, make nice. the chandeliers, you know, but I'm like, oh, the river sticks. Wow. You know, we have this like spontaneous kind of underworld theme, like emerging and, right. and, um, and then I guess, you know, just, I don't know if we need to like clarify for the audience at all. The Luginian mysteries are built around like the Demeter, you know, the architecture of the Demeter Persephone myth where the Persephone is kidnapped by Hades down in hell. Um, and, uh, and then the world Demeter is breathing and the world's in famine. And Zeus is like, you know, everyone's like crying out and Zeus intercedes like, look, Hades, you got to give her up. And, but he tricks her into eating six pomegranate seeds and, you know, and, then, and so her, this joyous reunion with her, with her mother, with Demeter, and Persephone is the rain goddess, and Demeter is like the goddess, and um, or the Persephone is the goddess of agriculture, and and then because she ate the succeeds, like that's like she's got to be in the underworld, but that's just like the super superficial and trivial level of it, and like just the deeper, like mystical, like the you know just the deep. So, you know, like that the seed goes into the ground and, and dies and is reborn and just the cycles of life and death and rebirth and 
and that like the Christian mysteries of Jehovah and Jesus being swallowed by the world of sin and his self-sacrificing love regenerates the world. I mean, it's a, you know, it's an archetypal, you know, religious idea, like one of the deepest like idea or, you know, insights in the reality process. And, and, and like that, you know, that Persephone like chose, like just seeing her like work and as her active like choice to, to do this and choice to go back and choice. And like, she is the queen of the underworld and, you know, and just, um, and, um, yeah. And, uh, you know, that just that death rebirth into the love and light and, um, and yeah, just celebrating that. And then, um, we had these artists. Yeah. And that was the first year that, that Alex and Allison were coming in and we didn't know what they were actually going to bring. And they brought that incredible star dancers, which I didn't even know was called star dancers, like for three years. I just thought it was a dance of the dead in the underworld. Right. You know, <laughs> you know, right. it's just it's it's just this like crazy, beautiful, ecstatic dance of in the I don't know, you know, ancestral plane. Mm. And uh and in that year, we'd actually had the 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 head, the founder or one of the co-founders of Milk and Honey, this this Jewish camp. Mm. Um Ali, she had had this really traumatic experience the year prior in our camp. Like, and it turns out that pretty much most Jewish friends and pretty much most European people will have an association on the Holocaust when they come into our camp because we're like, mass people into the foam, you know, the blasting with foam. And you know, wow. again, if people don't know, like, well, I'll just explain it. So my my dad developed firefighting foam for structure and forest fires and then made a version for Hollywood that me and my brother grew up blasting foam on trees and make it look like it snowed or in Alka-Seltzer commercial sets and you know Griffith Park in July and 100 degree weather and, and all the extras are in park is getting pouring like a rain like a rain bloom is just pouring water on them for eight hours and we're like in our swim trunks, just blasting foam. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a very ecstatic experience when you're like blasting foam on the world. It's just like, it's like, you know, it's like a snow day. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and like, you know, so I guess make this story not as long as it could be. Um, uh, you know, my, my granddad died in 97, my dad in 98. And, um, you know, just an incredible, intense time of life. And, um, and we had to shut down my dad's business and just concentrate on the soap business. And, um, but then 10 years later, I was like really going through a hard time. And I was like talking to my dad, I'm like, yeah, pop, how'd you do it? You know, how'd you run a business, raise a family, not lose your mind. And, and I just remembered the joy that we brought the world with the phone. Like we would just go cool. around and just like stow inner city day camps and like old folks homes and just always just ecstatic, just incredibly fun. And just really seeing my dad and appreciating his like magicianship and just magic and like built a unit based on one of his late designs and brought it to Burning Man in 2009. And we were clearing out blocks of people to kind of come in and just get blasted with foam. You know, it's, it's like a way better way because people bring a lot of fire. There's a lot of pyrotechnics, but not a lot of water and it's illegal, right? You can't like really have a public shower. So, but luckily with foam, we were self-interpreting this is more of a mist. There's mist regulations and there's like, you know, the bathing. So we're like, we're more of a mist. So, you know, so like we were, that's, you know, but we were totally gorilla and, and uh, nice. in the early years of the burn. And, um, but yeah, anyway, so fast forward. So now we're like well-established camp, like for, we were totally renegade, like till through 2013, <laughs> we were like off the radar, you know, we just wow. go way out into two o'clock back when that was deserted and, <laughs> and, uh, and just post up. But, um, but eventually we became official and because we didn't want to, our midst, 
you know, self-designated mist to be, you know, challenged, mm-hmm. uh, obviously, if we could avoid it. And um, fly below the radar. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was, that was, yeah. But then all of a sudden we were like a kind of official camp and in 2013 actually was UFO and that's when MAPS started, or, or Zeno started camping with us. And, um, yeah, so in 20, so 2016, so anyway, so yeah, so Ali had had this like, you know, most people, most, you know, Jewish friends will have the experience like, whoa, this is love's answer to all that, you know, like, this is like, you know, it's crazy, but whoa, you know, this is love's answer to that, you know, this higher octave of being, and, and but turns out some just get caught in the generational trauma and all that ecstatic screams of joy, just like, they're just totally triggered, and they're just back in there, and it's just like, you know, they're in camp, and it's just the, they're going through the hardest, most horrible generational trauma, so this lady, Allie, wrote this essay called Saifa, um, and it's a German word, the German word for soap, and play on how unsafe she felt, and this is a really creative 20-page essay about her experience, and just like, whoa, and talking to my granddad, and you know what your grandson's doing, and, you know, and like, and, but like, she reached out and uh, talked to me, and you know, I told, and I just, you know, told, brought it through our whole story. And, you know, my grandfather, my parents were killed in the Holocaust. And, and, you know, we had, we were a German Jewish soap making family. And my granddad's granddad started making soap in 1858 in a small German town, Laupine. You know, my granddad got out in the late 20s more to just do his own thing in life and came to, came to the U.S. to, uh, uh, you know, forge his path in life. Um, his two sisters got out and he was increasingly desperate to get his family out. His two sisters got out. His parents stayed till it was too late. Um, factors Aryanized in, in 1940. It was a crazy letter from the, from the Nazi who got it to our customers saying like, you, uh, you can, uh, uh, you know, made a form. Our company then it was a play actually on the English made of foam. It was a German made of form. That was our, the name of the company. Um, you know, and it was a letter to our customers basically saying, uh, you know, made foreign has been safely Aryanized, but you can still count on all the same level of quality and customer service as always Paul Hitler. You know, and we have this letter, you know, it's just crazy, you know, for one Deutschmark, you know, the Nazi guy was all very legalistic. So anyway, so, you know, my granddad's story is like, you know, my, you know, his parents are killed. My grandmother died when my dad was very young. My granddad was going through a mass tragedy and and the owner's response to this was just having these mystical, mystical breakthroughs of, you know, within this very dark time of a nuclear armed world and the next Holocaust, if we don't realize our transcendent unity, we're gonna all perish. If we don't realize we're all children of the same divine source. And and you know, to, you know, try to show on his labels the um, commonality that all the spiritual giants are like pointing at this truth. And and um so was that the not to interrupt David, but that was that the sort of like spontaneous inspiration for the the sort of the moral ABCs, the all all one message? Yeah. I, I was curious yeah. because I mean these days it's like we have we take a substance and we have a breakthrough like that individually. You know, we I mean for some people it 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 involves taking a substance, but was that it for your your grandfather? Was I mean just yeah, a, it was a dark stress of of life, yeah. For sure, it was the dark inspiration, and and I think you know he was maybe on the spectrum a bit of you know I mean he he was like a high functioning but had some psych level of like mild psychosis maybe but it was like in the way that like a shaman you know like a shamanic 
you know, I really was able to productively experience the kind of mystical mm -hmm. realms and not like totally lose it and, and, you know, bring it back and make, you know, just be this incredible power on earth. And yeah, I didn't need psychedelics to access wow. these states, but yeah, when I, I think this, when the stress induced, you know, it was just pretty intense. He actually got thrown into, you know, quote unquote, insane asylum in 1947, wow. but not because he was insane. It was more like he was just espousing this kind of like, you know, in this time, like borderline anti-American view, like it's one world, all one God faith, united world that sounded, I think, vaguely communist to the authorities, which was like ridiculous because he's actually kind of more way on the libertarian side of things politically. Mm -hmm. um, but uh but yeah, so so Ali, so so that year I'd gone back to visit our ancestral home in factory and in wow. in Heilbronn. Our, our name was Heilbronn, and my granddad dropped Hal when he came over. Um, Napoleon made all the Jews like adopt like whatever town's last name when he rolled through. Um, but it, you know, had been at our home and was just really you know feeling my granddad and my great aunts and, and my great grandparents and um and the german government actually or there's an artist that came up with this idea like 15 years ago to memorialize the victims of the holocaust with bronze plaques in the sidewalks in front of their homes where they lived and so there's these bronze plaques that have the, the name bertel and francisca and um and then their date of birth date of deportation and date of murder and and in the German in the Jewish neighborhoods, you know, you see all these stumble stones. They're called stumble stones. And, um, and so I took pictures of those, and and then as I left, and was just really feeling like my granddad and great aunts, like was playing as kids, and they were very integrated. Um, bourgeois Jews, you know, very integrated. Germany was actually a pretty integrated place. There's actually um, memorials to the Jewish veterans of the World War One in the German army. Um, and, but then, you know, things obviously turned in a horrible way. And, um, and, uh, yeah, and just really feeling that, you know, just, well, you know, just how fucking gnarly. And, um, but then left and like was going around the corner and I was feeling called to this like park, like all these like beautiful trees. And I was like, oh, what's that? And I got out of the car and, and it was this graveyard and, and it was this German graveyard, not a Jewish graveyard. And I was feeling this like solidarity, this like, solidarity of the German dead with the, their Jewish brothers and sisters, like this salute, like just saluting each other. And I was just feeling like, whoa, most of these, they, they weren't, they're kids, they weren't like Nazis, like most of these are just kids and, and, and just feeling like the conflagration of the world war, that the, just this generation of slaughter, like not on, on all sides, just this fucking sacrifice of this generation and just feeling it, you know, across Europe, across in Asia, across, and my ex, like she was born in Taipei and her father was a baby fleeing Chiang Kai-shek on his, on her grandmother's back and the last ship out, you know, and just a huge, you know, sacrifice of this time and, and feeling that the great kind of karmic life force that's just like moving through, moving through them, they suffered it and bore it and like moved it and then passed it. And then here it is and coming here now and just like really feeling it. And like, and yeah, just feeling that it's like real, you know, I would never ever expected to feel that feeling, you know, and then, um, and then so like, so for reformation, so we made a sign and, and, and for reformation, like all of us, we were dressed up as animals, like kind of, the, the, like we were kind of restoring the covenant of humanity and nature and like 
like like it's all broken and like we were the foam we made it like uh like the Ark of the Covenant from like Raiders Lost Ark kind of we had like the, the the wing goddess you know like on the top it turns out that's the goddess of death Mott um so like she's like you know holding so we made this reverse arc where the the animal and you came into our camp you had to confess your sins of the animal world we're all you know you wore like a, a mask and then took turns we had these confessional pews set up and then you go in and uh and yeah and it was just you know you know restore the right common you know it, it was like a lot of ideas going on um yeah so so we made a sign of the of the plaques and said to like all our jewish you know guests you know that you know any, anyone who's you know experiencing generational trauma we, we hold you in our hearts until you move to the present moment of celebration and and just you know just kind of made a sign and we were you know kind of debating like we don't want to like trigger people we want to do a trigger warning without triggering people you know this like a kind of dance um and um so then alley so it's like wednesday and me and Mia, we we just taken some acid. We were like, you know, a dose day. And I was like, like four, and and then someone spilled a ketamine on the floor, you know, and like we all like jumped on it. We're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> and uh, and then like just then, like Allie comes up, you know, like uh, you know, and like Allie's like, oh hey, I want to see like what you did, you know, and I'm like, oh well, okay, you know, and like you know, and I'm like, oh man, and you know, the acid's charging up, and and I'm like, you know, I'm walking up with her to the camp and kind of going into our you know, foam dome, and I'm like, oh shit, you know, like, like, damn, I'm not, I'm like about to like, you know, encounter the ancestors for real. And, you know, is this okay? Is what we're doing? Is this like fucking off? You know, like, I'm about to see what she sees, you know, I'm going to see like the chamber, like, are we, is this okay? Or is this like way off, you know? And like, mm-hmm. and I like, came in and in the vision song, um, well, first it was like the sun's going down. It was just beautiful. My friends on the decks just playing incredible music. Um, you know, Alex and Allison Gray's like, oh, we had this other artist who made these like crystalline torsos with like just all this like cool shit in it, like symbolizing like, all the experience of humanity. And like that was like ringing the DJ booth and and like the, there's like lightning jumping from the Alex and Allison Gray's you know dancers to the torsos and yeah. and. And the ancestors, I, and I totally feel them. And I just feel calm joy, just radiating this calm joy. Like, just, mm. you know, we're with you, bro. You know, you you go, son. Like, we're with you. You know, I just felt this, like, incredible experience. And, like, and like all these heavy, you know, like, elders were holding the space. It's kind of, like, in there. And just, it was just this really beautiful, wow, powerful incredible. experience. But, yeah, yeah, that's when I realized the power of what Alex and Allison. Like, I had a question mark a little bit from afar, like, you know i don't know why but that answered the question like they're like fucking tapped on the mega level and they're creating these spaces that you can enter the temple for real you know like yeah and then this vow to like help them yeah the temple or the chapel as sometimes they refer to it oh the chapel yeah yeah i meant like a metaphor you know like just like creating like a foam dome into this like yeah you know and like yeah, it's yeah. great. Thank you for sharing. That was an amazing journey. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was a big Beautiful. one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One I, thing. Um, um, go ahead, sorry. Brad. Well, I, was, uh, I might change subjects, so I'll. I'll oh yeah, yeah. Go, go for it. Want to go ahead, Joe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. Please, no. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, there was something you said a while back that I was really curious about. One of the things we we're hoping to learn a little bit about is, you know, constructive capital and how you are as a business owner and 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 
uh, something you said before about having a hard time around 2005 and just kind of seeking guidance on how to, I don't know, feel better as a business owner, you know, in what you've done with your company, there's so much that I find inspiring about it. You know, the, the execs five to one comp, you know, uh, being a B Corp, doing the construction of capital, capital boot camp. like there's so many ways that I think you can inspire people to be better capitalists, frankly. Uh, and I was curious, you know, what, what helped you after that phase in 2005 kind of feel better about the way you were, you were approaching your work? Yeah, well, it was actually more 2008. So, so, so okay. 2008 was, was when I really started to spin and, um, yeah, you know, just kind of anxiety, generalized, like, I mean, getting so bad, like I could barely like interact, like at the checkout at Trader Joe's, you know, like it was just like, yeah, I was like drinking to deal with it. And my brother was like, you know, he actually came to me. He's like, dude, you need to get on an antidepressant, like, or an, you know, you know, SSRI of some kind, or you know, because he had actually gone through like a really deep dark depression. And, and my brother's Mike Bronner, president here, and doesn't mind me talking, sharing it all. He's very open. And in fact, I got a whole story I'll tell you right now. Um, but uh, he, uh, you know, was just kind of giving me the real. He's like, look, you know, and and we're like mostly the same. And Zola made me want to kill myself, and you're gonna want to skip the Prypaxel because that's what worked for me. And it was like. The worst one is for our side effects and so i did that uh and everything else you know yoga and fitness and meditation and just you know getting in the ocean getting the therapy and i did young in therapy um so you know so i think that and uh, after a year i was able to get off paxil and that it was what a gnarly thing to get on and off of dude it's just like oh my god and if you miss a dose it's like a lightning bolts in your head and it's just nuts I have a friend who's described the same thing, uh, lightning yeah. bolts in the head. Yeah, that sounds yeah. horrendous. Yeah, but it but it helped, you know, it helped me stabilize there and I kind of do the work to kind of be able to exit it. And so, you know, I, I have, a, and, and I know, you know, my brother's a case, my ex-mother-in-law, I changed her name to Joy because of Lexapro, you know, to, you know, so I respect that these, you know, scenarios can really be helpful for some people some of the time, or, you know, maybe all you know, I don't know, whatever, but definitely they fail us in, in so many ways. And so my brother's story is his packs have just started pooping out actually just a few months ago. And he was just in a deep, dark hole, like really, really struggling. And, um, and he's like been very supportive of our psychedelic advocacy and, and, you know, just, you know, very much believes in it, but personally speaking, it's, it's not, I mean, he's taking mushrooms at a cure concert and stuff like that, but it's just not, really his thing hadn't really availed himself of it in a real therapeutic way oh and i should say like i went i got serious about medicine you know around that time and got way more serious actually in 2018 um when when i was going through another crisis and feel like like i'm now really really much more serious about the medicine path and being intentional about it but um but anyway, so Enthia is, uh, you know, coincidentally to my brother, like spinning was I was making the case that we should be a pilot company for Enthia, which is bringing psychedelic assisted therapy to basically companies in the, in the self-insuring package. And we actually been donating to them and they're starting with ketamine assisted therapy. And then as MDMA and psilocybin assisted therapy, you can basically, they like interface with your employees and like, you know, kind of, you know, interface with the providers and they just like send you the company an invoice every month and you know they kind of handle everything and um so we're launching actually in december but 
but just, you know, totally synchronistically, my brother's spinning and I'm like, okay, hey, Mike, like we've identified these providers, like, like you should do this, you know? And so in October, he um, started doing ketamine therapy and it's just like, he's just completely changed and it just completely helped him. Wow, that's great. Yeah, we just oh, had man. our toast, Toastmasters in our company. He just gave a speech. Like we have this like sacred Sangha that like fronts as our Toastmasters hmm. and uh, in Bronner's and uh, we just share on the reel. But yeah, he just, for his speech, he just shared all about this experience. And it's awesome because at our holiday party, we're not gonna announce this benefit to our staff and it just had my brother we've already had like a, you know a few other people that that kind of informally helped sponsor through like we had one of our main cats go through sage this the ketamine program at sage up in the bay area um and uh, just get a huge benefit um so that's all you know it's just this incredible story to um yeah, yeah. so that's i was telling, i guess kind of answering my how i got through my thing but just also telling the story of my brother just so it's awesome yeah. so we get to bring this um Mm. You know, psychedelic therapy and my brother now i'm like dude i'm gonna be kind of in the back you you, you saw that you know he, he's a new it, evangelist for it well and way more compelling than i am right i'm like obviously a little questionable i got personal <laughs> motivations maybe but you know he's all about the therapeutic benefit awesome that's great awesome. i'm just happy to hear that it had such a positive yeah. impact for him yeah dude it's amazing it's like really incredible that's it's also and like the kind of benefit from a company perspective to offer that um, I don't know, no more than four or five years ago, I couldn't believe would ever be possible in our lifetime, but it's very much a sign of the times in a positive way. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and, and I wouldn't have even been that enthused to offer it because I guess I had this attitude, you know, I'm on the board of maps and like, you know, the ketamine is um, kind of like low on the totem pole, you know, it's like fun to party with or whatever, but yeah. wasn't like, I didn't take it like that seriously as like a adjunct to therapy and but um but then what was starting to have some much more important experiences with ketamine um you know and really respecting it and you know just going really really far actually um but i signed up for a ketamine therapist training course that um was is out, like i'm actually in the psychedelic therapy uh, training course called anka if you go to psychedelicmedicine.net it's this guy lila who's izzy ishmael ali's um cousin Lila he's super rad and it's a school in the Claudio Naranjo kind of vibration but really bridging shamanic with kind of western psychedelic it's pretty incredible but this ketamine therapist training was outside of that um at the Prada Institute in Colorado but I went through it with my partner and it was just so incredible it was just so like I'd never done an IM dose of ketamine just wow it's just it's amazing medicine when approached intentionally and, and um so I got much more enthusiastic about this. It's not just like, cause we kind of like, oh, the FDA is not letting our therapists use, you know, do an MDMA session, uh, you know? So we're like, okay, what's next best? You know, holotropic breath work or ketamine, but, that, but now I'm like, wow, like, yeah, that's great. You know, do an IM dose of ketamine therapy. You'll have a real good idea how altered states work and, you know, and how to work with that in a therapeutic context. And so, yeah, so I got much more like enthusiastic myself about, ketamine therapy and that you know for a while i used to think like well you know it's a bridge until we get mdma and psilocybin and and, and then it'll go you know it'll just be like the whatever one you know that's not that great but now i totally see like this is going to be definitely part of the therapeutic you know allies for forever i mean it's just such a, an important one yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's a really important ally. Time. I like that. I like that uh, distinction or attribution to it um, compared to a lot of other ways that pharmaceutically, you know, things are treated. Uh, don't feel like allies, but you know, it's it, it seems to have a an opportunity to be an ally for your brother and many other people. So it's great to see it um, being explored and and seeing it applied. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, so it's, it's really awesome. It's cool. To, and oh my gosh. And his second ketamine treatment was all about getting over the what I mean, me, like we're an amazing family company and my mom's a CFO and uh, my brother's president, I'm a cosmic engagement officer and my brother-in-law is a CEO. And, um, um, and my brother had this amazing experience of just pure love for my mom, like just getting past like all, you know, how psychedelics can just get, elevate you past the whatevers. You just get that pure love vision and you know and he immediately called my mom up after so my mom you know another important decision maker in the company now you know went from a skeptic to a total cheerleader i mean therapy yeah that's great that's amazing yeah it's uh I think, you know, when you came up on my radar um, as being a supporter of this research several years ago, I'm, I'm like the soap company, you know, like, I just like, what's the connection? But, I, I, you know, just like, it's so it's so great to see that not only are you supporting this work financially, um, but also like running the organization in a way that is consistent with with like the beliefs, you know, that that you have that also cause you to support the, this important work. Um, and like Brad was alluding to, you know, some of the, like, I, this, I think is a really important thing, capping the executive pay at like 5x the the, the base pay, basically, is that still, is that still more or less the, yeah. the way that works? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, it, to me, it, it seemingly very important. I think one of the biggest, like, toxic factors in our modern world is, is, um, you know, people having like way too much money accumulating in like one or two people. And it, I mean, it just, you know, power corrupts and, and money is just a proxy for power. So it, it's this kind of, you know, attitude, like what, why does any one person need, you know, this insane amount of, of wealth? And the other place where I, I see you doing this is like, um, I, I read something, I think the most up-to-date number I had was like t- 2016, um, the company donated $8.7 million to charities, which was 41% of profits before taxes. That is just an insane amount you know, pro- like proportionally to like the total profits before taxes, even it's just, it's an incredible um, contribution. Can you speak to any of the, the recent numbers on that? Cause it's been, I know you've been doing that consistently for, for years now. Yeah. Right on. And I just shot a note to, um, I'll be a little late to the four o'clock call. So oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, just let us know. Do, do you have uh, how much time to wrap yeah, up know, in like five 10, or 10? 10, well, 15, let's just say. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll wrap. We'll wrap. Good to know. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Cool. Uh, I mean, I wish we could just keep going. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, let's see. Um, yeah, I, I guess I like wanted this. to point, call attention to, yeah, just just the charitable contributions and how you really put your money where your mouth is, so to speak. And yeah, and and just with the, the structure of the company and the way you encourage people to, you know. To no, no, it's, it's, one, it's the most crucial thing we've done is, is cap that so that, you know, I could early on see what our trajectory was and that, you know, kind of expenditure rise in the median income just that's what happens for people and mm-hmm. like like we're not going to be buying yachts and doing that kind of crap we're going to set you know no matter you know how big we get we're going to not make any more than five times our lowest fully vested position and you know dedicate our profits to making the better better world and all the different ways and you know and obviously my 
personal passion project is integration of psychedelic medicine. And I feel like it's most resonant and on point with my granddad, mm-hmm. granddad's vision of a, you know, united human race that's, you know, living in harmony and a sustainable relationship with nature and each other. And, you know, how are we going to actually do that? And, you know, psychedelically healing and opening up the global citizenry. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, you know, I mean, it's not magic bullet, but, you know, we got, we got some big other structural systemic problems, but, mm-hmm. you know, just, uh, you know, that's obviously, I think, a crucial way to get after it. And, um, so, so yeah, so, and it's just like a privilege to, to be able to do that. And last year with COVID, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, like, you know, the source soap and sanitizer cells just blew up and we were able to give 15 million and a lot of that went into Oregon, but powered both the 109 and the 110 campaigns. So 109 was integrating cell side therapy. 110 was ending the drug war and a treatment first approach. And that, you know, that addiction is not a crime. It's a health issue and further traumatizing addicts with arrest and incarceration, saddling them with a felony. I mean, this is obviously not the right approach. And so, and then, you know, what's better for substance use disorder, people struggling, some psychedelic therapy. So, you know, doing that one-two punch. So we're able to really pour resources into both those campaigns. And then into the DC uh, decriminalized nature campaign, we're helping uh, power that one as well. Nice. Um, so yeah. the, the, those are definitely beneficiaries of the, the, this year is not quite nearly as crazy last year, but, you know, we're still able to, you know, we still have the same model and, and we're, you know, giving a million a year to MAPS and, you know, just supporting a lot of the other organizations and efforts in the field. Amazing. Yeah. yeah so important. Add, yeah. The num- adding to the number of things just to be grateful for that you're doing with your, with your company and with your family and, and all the decisions that you're making. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Right on. Speaking of COVID, I, I, I wanted to ask you about, um, or just call attention to your policy around um, vaccines, encouraging your employees to get vaccines. I read that um, you're offering a, a bonus, a thousand dollar bonus to the employees that do choose to get vaccinated, sort of the carrot approach, as opposed to the stick approach, like mandate, you see yeah. with, yeah, with well mandate, yeah. or I think Delta airlines is doing something where if you don't get vaccinated, you know, you have to pay them or you give up, you know, some portion of your salary that goes toward your, um, increased healthcare costs, you know, or, or cost to the company of potentially being out sick and things. So I can understand they have to recoup their cost, but also I, I really like your approach of, um, you know, offering that incentive, like in a positive way to encourage that, that positive outcome. Um, yeah, totally, man. I mean, that's, um, I mean, the way I look at it is, um, I mean, first of all, like we, you know, we get kind of COVID we're, we're giving COVID windfall bonus already. So it's just like, you know, we're already kind of, uh, giving, you know, we gave $5,000 extra to everybody last year. And so wow. it's kind of a portion of that, you know, it's just incentivized people mm-hmm. here, but in a way that, you know, like, look, I mean, I, I personally do believe that this is a, a safe and effective way of combating this, you know, contagion. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, I'm also a fan of people who don't buy into consensual reality, you know, I mean, I obviously don't in respect to the drug war and race, sure. you know, or genetic engineering, major food crops tolerate massive amounts of herbicides, which, you know, like, you know, obviously dominant culture, you know, so, you know, people standing strong against, you know, you know understandably being very skeptical of like pharma right. and whatever. And so I get that. And so if, you know, people don't want to, you know, take the thousand dollar incentive and that's fine. And I've got good friends who, who don't, and, you know, we just, 
you know, we the, the only thing we're trying to do is not interface in the public if you're not vaccinated. Like, mm -hmm. It's fine here, like within Bronner's, but if you're public facing, and then we just kind of like reconfigure, no one's losing their job or getting docked or penalized or anything. It's just like kind of reconfiguring um, things and then, you know, just making it flow and try to mm -hmm. keep it all cool. And yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah, you don't want to like, yeah, I don't know. I, I think just mandating it is creates, yeah, just a lot of problems. And it's not right. the way to do it. And it's interesting you have the ability to make some of these decisions as a privately held company, you know, you can do whatever you want practically. So, you know, you can take care of people by giving them a bonus that in a different situation, if you had, you know, um, to speak to your shareholders, um, they might, uh, you know, they might vote you out of your position if you give, give all, you know, what they think is their, oh, yeah, yeah. Right? That's, you know? that's totally, man. That's it. I mean, that, that's the problem when people, when companies go public or you bring in non-mission line investors and they they have the right to sue you for not maximizing the fiduciary return that's the sole and only purpose that a corporate for-profit corporation exists and if you're not doing that you you, you can be sued now we are a benefit corp we did reorganize or there's nothing really it's a benefit corp is just an overlay of a crs corp but it does enable you to protect giving away your profit so like hypothetically if we did have to sell to you know in an emergency we had to sell equity to whoever and that person became problematic like a benefit corp actually allows us to have purposes other than maximizing fiduciary return for shareholders so that you know so that that's a corporate form i mean it doesn't mandate the, the form doesn't mandate you be awesome and you know can be just a greenwash kind of veneer and often sure. unfortunately is but it does actually give you that protection if you do have, you know, misalignment with, with whoever's an investor in your company. Other stakeholders. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I, and going back to what you said about um, respecting people who have um, that view of like anti-consensus reality or just questioning things. And I like to talk about contrarianism as opposed to skepticism, because I think people are often not actually skeptical. They just reject the status quo. Um, because it's the status quo. So it's it's a very nuanced thing to kind of navigate that. And I think it's important in this field too, because we're we're in this like, uh, you know, sort of like alternative view field of, you know, of this medicine. Yeah. And there's a lot of, we seem to be rife with people who have beliefs that are, you know, counter to the consensus reality just by default, like just anti everything that, you know, anti-institutions basically. Um, and it's like, you know, we need institutions to develop like, you know, important medicines and, and we need the institution of maps, for example, to like, you know, foster this, this new, this new paradigm over 30 plus years. Um, how do, can you speak to that at all? How, how we can individually sort of like navigate that and, and maybe, um, cause you seem to be doing a good job of walking this line between like, these are my views, well-researched and well-informed, but also not, you know, not pushing up against too hard people who have alternative viewpoints and not offending them or not having a war about it. Like, how can we bring people under the tent and communicate about these things without, you know, being at war with each other? Yeah. Well, I will say it was re received pretty controversially in, in some quarters of the anti-vax movement that lit up our social pages. They're accusing us of bribing our employees. Right. And, yeah. 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 Well, okay. Wow. Yeah. But, uh, yeah um uh but yeah um you know yeah just like i think again like just respecting that 
like, yeah, they, I mean, I respect strong views that are held, you know, I mean, so long as they're not like, you know, alt-right, borderline fascist wackiness, um, you know, like, uh, you know, it's, I mean, I, yeah, like we were just saying, like we were, we're pretty contrarian in our, you know, as a movement, you know, we're, and, but yeah, you know, I, I think Rick is a great example. He's kind of, he's like Obi-Wan Kenobi on the Death Star, you know, like he's just can work this system really well, but also like saying like, look, that, you know, as, 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 as like institutionally bureaucratic and lame and off as, you know, FDA and, 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 and regulatory bodies can be and government can be and corporations can be, that there's also, you know, we don't live in a fascist state and that it isn't just lip service that, that, you know, objective scientific data will drive policy. And, you know, obviously that's more or less true depending who's in power, but, um, you know, but Rick had faith and that, that if we generate, you know, the, the, the outcomes that we have, that we could move things through the FDA approval process which I was a little skeptical about, you know, when, when he first yeah. was saying that, but, you know, he's proved he's right. Mm. And we're like on the verge of it and it shifted the culture. I mean, just the, the whole cultural conversation, I mean, everything we're doing in other avenues, like via political ballot or legislatively or at the city council level. I mean, it's all because of this incredible shift in the culture that mm -hmm. these clinical trials have created and all the positive momentum with, you know, FDA, you know, breakthrough status and, you know, Michael Pong and all the incredible media. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Something you said before I like that stuck with me was reconfiguring. So instead mm -hmm. of being, but like contrarian in all ways, like accepting a degree of the, the institution or the system that we're in, but then like to reconfigure, there's like a sense of humility in that it's, you know, we can have a, a, a ripple in this and we exist and we can affect change. Um, but by like standing and being obstinate, you know, how far is that going to get us individually or collectively, but to aspire to reconfigure in ways that are going to be incrementally beneficial, uh, that have a ton of respect for that. Yeah, right on. I mean, it's like we have our, we have to have that inside movement kind of game, you know, kind of playing a political, you, you got to be on that policy process and just like, it's frustrating and that can be but and then we also got burning man and where we get to celebrate our culture mm. i like it like kind of like the gay like lbgtq like trajectory of you know having the inside you know lawyers and politics you know just working the system harvey milk but then also the pride parades and leather bars and just like going off you know so that you know doing doing both mm -hmm. yeah i feel like psychedelic culture is like kind of in some ways paralleling nearing that trajectory totally yeah we've been coming out of the psychedelic closet for several years now yeah. and it's really becoming mainstream and and people can talk about it much more freely than they ever did which i think goes a lot toward like setting the the substrate that we need to be able to you know actually make the changes like legislatively yeah, and, and otherwise yeah and for us that's a big motivation of this show and why we do what we do so i don't know i want to be conscious of your time i yeah. appreciate you taking some extra extra minutes to to spend with us i feel like that's a good landing landing spot yeah. for this conversation um man what a world it's, that was that was a thrill thank you so yeah. much yeah right on guys yeah absolute pleasure thank you. thank you so much david take care man good luck yeah. with everything right on this is entheogen elevate the conversation i'm joe i'm brad and i'm kevin please support entheogen by making a donation on patreon become a patron for as little as one dollar Pledge just $3 or more and get early access to new episodes, plus exclusive patron-only features.
head over to entheogenshow.com and click on support. And thanks again.